God bless you and you may be seated. And happy new year to everyone. Happy 2022 uh, to all of you. And praise God for a brand new year. And with a new year, I wanted to begin today with a new sermon series from the book of Romans. Also this year, we have a new theme from our main church, which is to be strong. And I am hoping that in a couple of weeks, Pastor C. Farrell will share more about that theme. But I, I hope, I pray, and I do believe that as we move forward in the theme of be strong and in the theme of what we're going to be re reading from the book of Romans, I hope that there are many ways that these things are going to intersect with each other. In other words, there's going to be many connections with the command, be strong. Many connections from that command to knowing what the book of Romans says. So as we consider Romans for the next, I don't know, several weeks, months, we'll see how long this goes. We're going to consider Romans, but in the theme of Romans, we're going to consider the gospel, what it is and what it does. Because to me, when I read the book of Romans, that's the message. It's the gospel, what it is and what it does for all those who believe. And I think when we talk about being strong in life, being strong comes from first a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It also comes from walking according to his word and knowing the truth of his word and then standing in it. And so I pray that as we go over this series of the Romans, the book of Romans, we will know exactly what the gospel is and know what it does to us and in us. And by it, we will stand. Amen. So today we're going to begin our study from Romans by looking at the very first chapter, of course, and the first few verses of it. We're going to consider the, this introduction message that's titled, Greetings from Paul, as Paul is the author of the book of Romans. So if you will, will you turn to the New Testament? Romans comes after the four Gospels, and then you have the book of Acts, and then Romans. So please turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read this, and then we'll sort of introduce this letter today and the very first message that comes forth from it in these first few verses. Romans chapter 1, I'll begin at reading at verse 1, and as I do, could you all stand together with me? Amen. And may the Holy Spirit give us an undivided attention to what we are about to read. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Christ Jesus our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You may be seated. As we go through the book of Romans, let me just say this. You're going to find, perhaps not today, maybe not even next week, but soon, you're going to find that Paul says a lot of things that are probably not going to sit right in your heart. Because Paul is going to say many, many things that the world today does not agree with. Today the world teaches something completely opposite of what we learn from Paul in the book of Romans. And I may say things from this pulpit that you do not like and that you don't agree with. All I can say to you is this. If it's what God says, surrender to it. These aren't my words. These are the words of God. And my job as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, is to be faithful to what God says. And not to bring my own opinions and my own thoughts and my own feelings about what God says. My job is to believe what God says and to teach it to you with conviction that it is the truth. And when it comes time, and it probably will soon, when God says something that you think, you know what, we don't think that way anymore. The world doesn't think that way. Then you need to decide, who do we belong to? The world or to God? Here is the book of Romans. And we're going to start, I think I forgot my clicker. We're going to start with the very first few verses as Paul's sort of introduction to these slides. I'm going to get it. Don't worry. I'll get it. For those watching, I know I'm off camera right now. I'm still here. I forgot my clicker for the slides. We're going to begin first by wondering, why is Paul writing to Rome? Look what he says, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing that at the time that Paul is writing this letter, which is somewhere in the 50s AD, about 20 years or so after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's amazing that there is a church in Rome. Rome, the center of the empire of the Caesars. It's amazing to me that there's actually a church thriving in that city. And you know, that church that's there in Rome, it's not like a cathedral that was built on the streets of Rome. It's not necessarily a chapel or a church like we're in right now. But we discover in chapter 16 that these are house churches. Kind of like our connect groups that meet during the week. The church was meeting in individual homes. And probably in some of the Jewish synagogues in the city. Rome. And we wonder, well, how did the church begin in Rome? I mean, who started it? Who planted it? Some people say, well, maybe it was Paul who planted that church. No, it wasn't. Paul had never been to Rome at the time of writing this letter. He wanted to go very badly, but as of yet, he had never been there. Paul didn't start this church. Peter didn't start this church. Neither did any of the other disciples. So how did the church begin? Well, when you remember from the book of Acts, chapter 2, on that day, as Jesus promised, that he would pour out his spirit upon the church. And the people knew that the spirit had been poured out because they heard all the believers of Christ speaking in other tongues. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, specifically at verse 10, 
that among the people that were there visiting Jerusalem were people from Rome. And these Jewish people who came to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, they heard what was happening. They saw it with their own eyes, and then Peter preached the gospel message. And the Bible says that at the conclusion of his sermon, 3,000 people were saved in a moment. And it continued, thousands of people getting saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's believed that these Jewish men and families that came from Rome to Jerusalem during Pentecost heard the gospel and they were saved. And what happened when they went back to Rome? They began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's believed that's how the church in Rome began. And it was a wonderful mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And just so you know the difference between the two, you're either Jewish or you're Gentile. All of us here today are Gentiles. We're not a part of the Jewish people. And the church in Rome was a mixture of the two. Can you imagine Jews leaving Rome, going to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and they come back with the fire of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, transformed, believing in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and now spreading the gospel to all in their communities. What an amazing thing the gospel does to people. Now why is Paul writing to Romans then? He didn't plant that church. It wasn't like Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians. Paul did plant those churches. So why is he writing to those living in Rome? Well, it's good to know some of the context about what was happening in Rome at the time. The Bible says that as the church began to grow, people getting saved, not only the Jews who are from Rome were getting saved, but people coming into Rome and hearing the gospel were getting saved. Again, Jew and Gentiles. And there in Rome, in some point, after some years, there was controversy because there were other Jews that did not like hearing that their fellow Jewish brethren were turning to Jesus Christ. Not all the Jews accepted Jesus. And so there was fighting going on. And there was an uproar, uproar, rioting, protesting, maybe even in the streets of Rome. And when that happened, the Caesar at the time, Claudius, expelled all the Jews from Rome. Maybe not all of them, but most of them. And so while the Jews have been kicked out of Rome, the church still is growing. But now it's not very Jewish anymore. It's more of a Gentile church than it is a Jewish kind of church. The traditions of the Jews are not there anymore. And the culture of the Jewish people are not in the church anymore because now it's mainly a Gentile church. But after just a few short years, the Jews were allowed to come back home only to find their church not exactly the way they left it. It's different now. Filled with Gentile people from all over the world with all kinds of cultures and languages and customs. Many people were filling the church of God. The Gentiles who filled that church in Rome, most of them were slaves. And the others, the Jews, you had a mixture of them. Some of them just simply believed in Jesus Christ, while others, while believing somewhat in Jesus, still held on to their Judaism, still holding on to their Old Testament law as a means of being saved. And they wanted to, to force Gentile people to follow the Judaism and the laws of Judaism. So there's all kinds of controversies now going on within the church. 
the Gentiles were looking down upon the Jews, and the Jews were looking down upon the Gentiles. So Paul writes them a letter, not only to deal with some of these issues, but he also saw Rome as a new springboard to the rest of the world. Paul had, traveling, had been traveling through parts of Asia Minor, all the way to Macedonia, down into the areas of Greece. But in his mind, he wanted to take the gospel to the furthest parts of the earth. And he had his eyes set all the way to Spain. And so he tells the church in Rome, on my way to Spain, I want to stop in Rome. And I think one of the reasons why he wanted to do that because, is because he could see Rome as being a new center of evangelism and world missions. If he could unite the church in Rome as one purpose, to spread the gospel, then from there the gospel could go out into all the world. And I think Paul wanted nothing more than to see Rome one to Jesus Christ. Because imagine what that could do for world evangelism. And so Paul teaches this letter called the Romans. He dictates it to a man named Tertius. Tertius writes down the words and hands it to a woman named Phoebe. A woman's name that means light. And as she's carrying this letter to the Romans, oh, what light, what revelation of light is in this document. And so Phoebe arrives to Rome and gives them this letter. There are many people in Rome that didn't know Paul. And so Romans, on one hand, is Paul simply introducing himself to the church in Rome. But it's also, he lays out his deep convictions about what the gospel is and what it does to those who believe in it. And just as a side note, at the time Paul wrote this letter, there was already a lot of gossip and a lot of rumors concerning Paul and the things he was teaching. Some people were saying, falsely accusing Paul, that Paul was teaching that the Old Testament law, it's useless. Don't bother with it. It means nothing. You don't have to worry about it. There's no good thing found in the law of God. The other false accusation concerning Paul was that now that we are under the grace of God, that that grace is sort of like a license for you to continue living in your sin. Don't worry, because God is a gracious God. So Paul had to deal with these tremendous lies. There is so much Paul wants to say now in the book of Romans. And there's so much he does say in the book of Romans. But for today, we have greetings. Greetings from Paul. And in his greetings, he reveals these three things. He reveals, number one, his master. Number two, his mission. And number three, his message. So let's begin with the very first thing Paul reveals in his greetings to the church in Rome. He reveals his master. Look at it again in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. This is the very first thing that Paul wants the people of Rome to know about him. In fact, I think any time Paul introduced himself to someone, this was the very first thing he wanted people to know. Now believe me, there's so much Paul could say in introducing himself. Paul could have told all about the miles he traveled just to spread the gospel of Christ. 
He could have talked about all the churches that he planted, all the people that were saved through his preaching and through his ministry, all the miracles that he did by the hand of God for so many people all over the world. He could have talked about all those things. But the one thing he wants people to know is this right here. It's, in fact, it's almost like Paul is saying, you don't know me really until you know this one thing about me. And what is it? I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Meaning, I belong to Jesus and he's my master. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul could have put the spotlight on himself and bragged about all the things that he had been able to do for the name of Jesus. Instead, he turns the spotlight around onto Jesus and he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus. He is my master. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel that when you get to know somebody or when somebody gets to know you, do you feel like Paul that someone can't really know you truly? They don't really know exactly who you are until they know this one thing. You belong to Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and master. Do you feel that way? I think we should share this with Paul. For those who are young people here today, I've had many discussions with our young people and parents, I hope you back me up with this at home. But I've often told our young people when they're looking for friends, especially when they're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I always encourage them when you meet new people, make sure they know above all other things, you belong to weird. And he might not like me and run away from me. Then young lady, you know everything you need to know about that man. Young man, you know everything you need to know about that woman. If at the news that you belong to Jesus, people leave you, then that tells you everything you need to know. I always encourage all of us, let people know who your master is. Because until they do, do they really know you? Do they truly know who you are? without knowing that you belong to Jesus. And it's not just simply saying to someone, yeah, I, I have some thoughts about Jesus. Well, almost everybody does. What I'm saying is we need to confess that we belong to Jesus. He is our master and he's the one that rules our life. Amen. Paul says, I am a bond servant of Jesus. Paul is writing this letter to people who are mainly slaves. And he's saying to them, I am also a slave. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. And what does he mean by that? Well, I think Paul is talking about the bondservant that we find in the Old Testament. You know, God had a law concerning what was called bondservants. In the Jewish heritage, in the Old Testament, like in the book of Exodus, Jewish families were allowed to hire people to be their bondservants or their slaves. And after they, after they served them for six years, on the seventh year, they had to go free. God did not allow people to just enslave people until no end. No, after six years of serving, they were given their freedom. But then in Exodus chapter 21, verse 5 and 6, God says, but if there is a servant who says, I love my master and I will not go free, Meaning, I want to be with my master. I don't want to be anywhere else. 
and I will not go out free. I will remain with him. God says then for that man to take his servant out into the public to mark his ear so that everybody sees it and everybody who sees that man, they will know he belongs to his master. And I think this is what Paul has in mind. Paul looks at his master and he says, I love him and I will not go away from him. Paul would write to the church in Galatia and he says to them, I bear upon my body the marks of Christ. And those word marks, it means slave brands or slave marks. What was Paul talking about? Paul was persecuted and beaten, scourged and whipped. And to him, that was his sign that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I think this is what Paul meant by being a servant of the Lord. And now when we read about Paul in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, how did all this happen? Because you remember reading about Paul, right? You remember what kind of man he was, don't you? If not, let's look at it real quick. If you have your Bible still with you, just turn with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 8 and a little bit of chapter 9 as well. Remember who Paul was. Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Stephen being stoned by the Jews because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. And when they stoned him, it was Paul who was there gathering all the coats of the people so that they could have freedom to swing their stones and kill Stephen. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, as for Saul, which is Paul's Hebrew name, as for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This man was creating havoc in the church, meaning, meaning he was set out to humiliate them, to persecute them, to arrest them, and to kill them. And then continue on in chapter 9 of Acts. Again, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he, if he found any who were of the way, meaning they were Christian, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This was Paul. He was a hunter of Christians and a persecutor of Christians. How do we go from being a persecutor of Christians to a bondservant of Jesus Christ? What happened to Paul? Well, it says it right here. Continue in Acts. As he journeyed and came near to Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 6, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here is Paul on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And on the way, Jesus arrested Paul. And the moment he saw the resurrected Jesus, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Lord, meaning master. And what was Paul's immediate attitude toward his master? What do you want me to do? I am at your service. I am your bond servant. Amazing. That's what happened to Paul. On his way to Damascus. Now, have you said the same thing? Have you called Jesus Lord? And is your attitude toward the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because that's a sign of surrender. That's a sign of servitude. That's a sign that you see Jesus as your master and you are his bondservant. Is that your relationship with Jesus Christ today? The very first thing Paul wants you to know, his master. Secondly, his mission. Same verse. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He says, I'm called to be an apostle. Once Paul was a saved man, he was a called man. Jesus called him into the ministry to be an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, basically, it is someone who is sent on a mission. And in this case, it is Jesus sending Paul into the Gentile world to preach the gospel and to plant churches. Uh, an apostle is one who is sent, kind of like a missionary. These two words are very similar. And this is exactly what Paul became, a missionary to the nations of the Gentile world. And when he planted churches, he didn't just raise them up and then leave. He oversaw them. He kept in touch with them, and he helped them through. That was the job of an apostle. And Paul wasn't just any apostle, but he was ranked among the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. He was at the same level of ministry as Peter and James and John. And this calling to be an apostle, it wasn't because Paul had already shown some talents and abilities. It wasn't because of his education. He didn't have special connections. And he was not recommended for the job. In fact, who would recommend somebody like Paul to a job of the apostle? I don't think any of us would say, hey, Jesus, if you're looking for someone to send, go ask the persecutor of the church. Go ask the murderer to do that. Who would ever recommend Paul to do this? But God's calling upon Paul had nothing to do with these past things. It had everything to do with, you ready? The grace of God. Grace meaning God's kindness, freely giving without anyone deserving it. By God's grace alone, Paul was called into this ministry. It's God who calls. And it's God who equips. And it's God who works in us that we will accomplish his plans. And Paul repeats this in verse 5 and 6. He says, through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. It's by grace that God called Paul. Paul wrote another letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul said this. He said, I am the least of all the apostles. I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. I was a persecutor of the church. 
but by God's grace, I am what I am. But by God's grace, I am what I am. Do you know how often I've needed to remember that one phrase right there? You know, oftentimes I might listen to somebody preach, whether it's on YouTube or here in the church or anywhere else. And sometimes I hear a man preach and I think, you know what, I, I wish I talked like that. I wish I sounded like that man when he preaches. Or I hear someone say some really wonderful truth that I never found myself in the Bible. And I think, I wish I knew the Bible like that. I wish I could portray all these wonderful, beautiful truths of God's word like that person does. I wish I had a ministry like that man. I wish I had a church like that person or that ministry. But then I have to remember, it is by God's grace I am what I am. And what does that mean to me? First of all, God called me to be your pastor. And by God's grace, I have the strength to do so. It also reminds me that it's God who put me here. It's God who placed me where I am. And God did not call me to be like someone else. He called me to be like Jesus Christ. He called me to be faithful to his word. By God's grace, I am what I am. I am who I am. I do what I do. God has a plan that is for me. And I need to be focused on fulfilling that purpose of my life. And I encourage you, don't ever compare yourself to somebody else. Don't ever look at someone else and say, oh, I wish I could be more like that. I wish God did for me what I see him doing for someone else. Don't do that. Be content with this one phrase. It's by God's grace that he's put you where you are. It's by God's grace that he calls you. And the purpose that he puts into your life is between you and Jesus Christ. You are called to be faithful to it. In fact, one day, as the Bible says, our number one concern is to go to heaven and to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Paul says you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Just like Paul, a saved person is a called person. Now you may not be called to be an apostle or a pastor or a missionary or any full-time ministry. God has different plans for all of us. But he all does call us to this one mission in life. And that is to glorify his name and to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. The high calling of God is not fame and fortune and success. The high calling of God is not to be an apostle or to be a pastor or to be a missionary. The high calling of God is to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't start by saying, I'm Paul, an apostle. No. What's more important than that? I'm Paul, the bondservant of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are to respond to the Lord's call when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Amen. We see his mission. Number three, his message. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. 
the gospel. You know what gospel means? Good news, great news, beautiful news. We know that word gospel mainly because we know that there are four gospels in the Bible, right? The gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. And what do all these writers say as their good news? That God the Son came into this world. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life on the cross for you and me. He was buried in a tomb for three days and he rose again to brand new life and he ascended on high sitting on the throne today. That's the good news of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The good news is that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. And Paul calls it the gospel of God because before it was Matthew's good news or Mark's or Luke's or John's, it was God's good news to you. This is God's good news to you that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Good news. And this separation to that gospel of God, God separated Paul from the world and saving him from his sin. And then he, after he separated Paul from the world, he separated Paul to himself, to the gospel of God. And that word separation comes from a word that means horizon. Do you know that word, horizon? Picture looking out over the ocean of the Java Sea. You look out into the ocean and you see the line of water and where the sky touches that water. And it looks like the clouds are touching the water way out into the distance. That is a horizon. As you look out straight, you see a horizon. For Paul, he looked out and his horizon was dominated by the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's all Paul cared about. I was just remembering a couple of days ago, one of the times I went fishing, the last time I went fishing here in Indonesia, I went out with a couple of my daughters and my nephew and niece and out on the Java Sea, we were, we were out and usually I have a great time fishing. I love deep sea fishing. But on this trip, I was more concerned about the kids, making sure they know how to bait their hook, make sure they know how to cast their line, Make sure that they're reeling in the line properly. They know how to take the fish off the hook when it comes in. And my mind was so focused on what was happening in the boat. In the meantime, it's this movement. And if you're in this movement in a boat and you're looking down, concentrating here, do you know what happens? You'll get dizzy, you'll get a headache, and you may start getting sick to your stomach. I've learned when that happens, when you start getting what we call seasick, the best thing for you to do is lift up your eyes and look at the horizon. Because when you focus on the horizon, you settle down your mind and your heart and you'll feel better. Why do I say that? Because Paul focused on his horizon, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in the meantime, he was heavily persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, he went without food and water. He was scourged horribly many times. But instead of focusing on that and getting lost in the waves of life, he always looked to his horizon. And because he did, he was able to endure all of this. 
It was very real. Paul went through very real pain, but he chose to lift his eyes and focus on his horizon, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was able to endure. The Bible tells us in this life, we are looking unto Jesus. He is our horizon. And we are not to focus on the trials of today, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? And let me just close quickly with something that's actually really important, so I need to still get through this. Paul then talks about this great gospel of God. And in the next three verses, he shares some facts about the gospel of God. Like number one in verse three, I'm sorry, verse two. This gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel of God was promised long before Jesus ever came into this world. Like in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned because Satan tempted them to do so. Sin entered the world and so did the bondage and the power of sin. God said in Genesis 3, all the way back in the beginning, he spoke of someone who would come. Someone who would be born into this world. A man who would crush the head of Satan. And ever since then, God has been forming this plan. All throughout the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus coming into the world to crush and to defeat Satan and sin forever. God spoke these things from the very beginning through the prophets who prophesied of the life of Jesus, his ministry, even the words he would say. They prophesied of his cross. They prophesied of his burial and resurrection and his ascension. And when Jesus went to the cross and he called out those words, it is finished. Everything that God said in the Old Testament about the life and the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus fulfilled every word. This was a gospel from the beginning of time. The second fact, the gospel concerns the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember from John 3.16, that very central word is Son, because Jesus, the Son of God, is the central point of the gospel of God. He is the reason why we have good news. And Paul here says that Jesus was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, meaning when he came into this world, he was born among the heritage of kings. God gave King David a promise that from his lineage, the everlasting king would come. An everlasting king would come and sit on a throne forever and ever and ever. And the Bible teaches us it was Jesus who was a son of David who sits on the throne to rule forever. All of this from before the foundation of the world, God had already put this in plan. Thirdly, the gospel, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. You can't talk about the gospel without talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when Jesus was risen from the dead, it wasn't like at that moment he became the Son of God. No. It's that his claims to be the Son of God was proven and validated by the fact that God raised him from the dead. 
If Jesus spoke a lie about who he was, would God raise him from the dead? No. But God validated everything Jesus ever said by raising him from the dead. Jesus begins his ministry with God the Father saying, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. And at the resurrection, it's almost like the Father said, You see, I told you, he is my Son, my everlasting Son. By the resurrection of the dead. There was a time in the Gospel of John when Jesus went to the temple and there were people there making business, selling things, exchanging money and making profits. And Jesus went and he turned over their tables and he spoke about his father's house. The Jews didn't like hearing that. They didn't like hearing that this man was claiming to be a son of God. And so they said, where does this authority come from? What sign will you show us to validate your claim you are the son of God? You know what Jesus said? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They thought he was talking about the building. Of course he was talking about himself. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was like an exclamation point on this one thing. Jesus is and has always been the Son of God. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came into this world to give his life for you and me. He died and he rose again. And today he is the Son of God with power. Power. Like when the Bible says that he is able to save to the uttermost, completely and perfectly and forever, all those who come to God through him, Jesus is able to save you. And he lives forever to make intercession for you. Amen. Let me close. Verse 5 and 6. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the faith. Paul is saying that his work as an apostle, this gospel message is to go to every nation. All nations, including Indonesia. And this gospel must be proclaimed to all people of all nations. And then he talks about obedience to the faith. Now what does that mean? As we move through Romans, we'll talk more about what this means, but let me just tell you this. What does it mean to obey this faith? There was a time when the people said to Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? What is the obedience that we are to give to God? What do we do, Jesus? If God is to be pleased with us in what we do, how do we obey him? What do we do in obedience to God? Good question. And here's what Jesus said. Here it is. Here is the work you are to do. Believe in him whom he sent. What do we do, Jesus, to be saved? Believe in him who he sent, Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus. Obedience to the faith begins with believing in Jesus Christ. Musicians, please come. This was Paul's horizon. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is everything to Paul. 
Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. It's all about him. And it's all about his gospel, what it is and what it does. This was Paul's horizon. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, as it was true for Paul, it is true for you. It matters not where you come from. What matters is where you're going. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. All are to come and to believe in Jesus Christ. He cleanses us from all of our sin and he gives you a brand new horizon looking unto Jesus. This is great news indeed. Amen.